Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning and to hear the music already this morning and feel the Lord's presence? Well, we are glad you are here and that you have braved the elements to be with us this morning and to worship our Lord and our Savior. If you're a guest, if you'll take out your blue communication card in the worship guide, fill that out, and at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to um, meet our pastor back in the foyer area. And um, we just want to get to know you and to be able to minister to you and your family. If you have prayer requests, fill that out as well. And we um, take time at our staff meetings on Tuesdays to pray for those. And then our prayer ministry prays for those on a daily basis as well. So we are glad that you are here on a special Sunday that we're going to rededicate our sanctuary and have a baptism as well. And so we are thankful to just be here to be able to worship God this morning. Join me as I pray. Father, we are so thankful that we have such a lovely space to come and to worship you through our songs and through hearing the word. God, may we be attentive to what you have to say to us, Father. That we wouldn't tune out what it is that you want to speak to us so we can live it out when we walk out these doors today, Father. Because we know that we live in an area that, and in a time where people need you more than ever, Father. And so we pray that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus as we go and we live here in Pineville, Louisiana, and in the state, in our nation, and around the world. God, we thank you for your presence here. May we continue to worship you through baptism and song this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church family, we're so blessed this morning to be able to uh, celebrate baptism once again. Uh, coming today is Madison Everett, or we know her as Maddie. She made her profession of faith back when we were still in the gym, and she's coming today for Believer's Baptism. Madison. Maddie, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Okay. May we continue to celebrate and worship today on a great day of rededication of our sanctuary. May the Lord be blessed today. Let the whole world sing out, let the people sing. 
we trust him because he's been faithful in the past he's been faithful in our present and he will be faithful as we go forward amen so today we sing and we declare from our heart great is thy faithfulness sing with us great is thy
Amen. Please be seated. Amen, church family. And certainly the Lord has been so faithful to us to bring us to this day where we get to rededicate this facility to the glory of the Lord. And, and I know also there's a family here that's celebrating God's faithfulness. Paul and Vanessa Hogan are with us. As you know, uh, Paul and Vanessa lost their house in a home fire just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they're, they're getting ready to do all the rebuilding and putting back together. But church family, I wanted to share with you, I put out a phone call and an email. And in just a matter of two or three days, we collected about $7,500 that we were able to give to the Hogan family to help them get going. And so God bless y'all. God bless you. And uh, we're here if you need something else. God bless you as you move forward. Uh, we've set aside time this morning to rededicate our church campus, especially this sanctuary building, to the work of the Lord. And this process of renovation began six years ago. Um, next month when our church selected the long-range planning committee. We had addressed a lot of maintenance issues in our church, uh, but we'd tackle one and add three. And so we realized we needed to do something major to uh, address those. And so the long-range planning committee was elected by the church and began meeting in March of 2012. And they were assessed with assessing the church's campus, both our property and our buildings, and suggesting a course for renovations and expansion that would meet the church's future needs. And a little over two years later, uh, that group presented a master plan to the church uh, on Sunday, April 27th, 2014, and after time for review and questions in May, the church then approved that plan in June of 2014. Two months later, that group presented a first phase to the church, which was approved, and um, they continued to uh, work and celebrated what they had worked. And we want to recognize those members of the Long Range Planning Committee. If you're here, would you please come forward and line up across the front of the platform here? Uh, Jennifer Pastor, Pam Tullis, Doug Ash, Jean Jones, Harry Ingalls, Monica Marques, Chris Beal, and I believe his widow Amanda is here to stand for him, Terry Spruill, Elizabeth Hilburn, Darice Ralston, Jimmy Holsenbach, Gary McKay, and Joe Blackwell. Uh, this group worked tirelessly to get that project together, two years and a little more of hard work, lots of meetings, lots of dreaming, and lots of putting things together, and uh, we wanted to recognize them this morning. And then, on top of these people, we needed a steering committee for the first phase and a committee to handle the capital campaign, which became known as Making Way. And many of these members stayed on on those steering committees, but uh, some others came along. The steering committee was composed of Philip Beard, who served as chair, Harry Ingalls, Terry Spruill, Joe Blackwell, Elizabeth Hilburn, John Marques, Jean Jones, Jennifer Pastor, Pam Tullis, Joe Stancil, James Charles, Peggy Doucette, and Beverly Price. And then our capital campaign committee was Harry Ingalls as chair, Carol Lowe, James Stewart, Nick Nixon, Betty Matthews, Herschel Corley, Bob Nichols, and Elizabeth Hilburn. And is Miss Pat Stewart here today? To stand in for James? Okay, we will recognize her in his stead. These committees began working immediately in August of 2014, and the Capital Campaign Committee work ended pretty much once that launched in mid-2015, but the Steering Committee has continued meeting. They actually have their last meeting this coming Thursday night. 
which will be March 1st of 2018, which means they've been working six years solid on this project. And so we need to give some thanks to these people. If you'd give them a round of applause today. Each of these members is receiving a framed piece of art, which is a work that uh, one of our former members, Barbara Clover, did back in the 90s of the cupola. We've gotten that for them, so that's what's wrapped up for them. If you guys would remain standing, I want to show people what it takes to to do this project. Um, Working from the very beginning in 2012 through to now was Ash Broussard and Wine Zettel, our architects for the project. And I can't say enough about Doug Ash and his team who've worked so tirelessly and they're amazing. Alongside David was Amy Wallace and Kate Nichols and they're both here. If you ladies would come join us here at the front. Uh, these ladies work tirelessly to help develop what's here today. And uh, we're so grateful for their design work and them catching the vision of what we wanted to accomplish. Once the projects went out, the contractors showed up. And we're recognizing uh, those contractors today who helped with the renovation. And most of those helped on other projects as well. Uh, But Tudor Construction was our general contractor for this project and did an excellent job. John Tudor is here. John, if you come here to the front, we want to recognize you. He's here representing his team. And if if my history is correct, John's grandfather built this building, John's daddy renovated it, and now John's renovated again, so if we don't outgrow this place, his son can renovate it (laughs) in another 30 years. Hopefully we'll outgrow it. Let's give John and Tudor Construction a hand. Thank you so much, bud, for your work. Uh, Working alongside Tudor and ABW Architects were 18 other subcontractors. Uh, and consultants that ranged everywhere from painting to flooring to millwork to uh, glass to mechanical to landscaping to audiovisual and a lot more. It takes a lot of people to pull off a big project like this. And if you ever pass by the church when work was going, especially in those last several uh, months, you know that over by the activities building was just full of, of pickup trucks. And that's because people were crawling all over this place doing work. It takes a lot of people. And uh, not many of our subcontractors were able to be here today, but some are. So if you're here with us, you're one of our subcontractors, would you please come and join John here at the front? We want to recognize you. I think we had one or two hours. So yeah, Jeff, come on down. Jeff Leopard's with Glass Specialties. Did all of our glass work, doors, windows. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being here. And they're receiving a uh, ceramic ornament of our cupola as a a memory of their work here on the church as well. Um, Along the way, we learned about historical tax credits that could be gained that could really help offset the cost of this project. Yeah, Jeff, sorry. Hey. Kent Willow needs to be up here too. Kent Willow? Kent, come on down here. (laughs) Uh, We uh, learned about historical tax credits, and that um, helped greatly offset, will will help greatly offset the cost of the project. Uh, We're still in the application process of those credits, but I believe uh, Paul Smith is here with us. Paul is our consultant working with us on that. And uh, if if Paul does his job right, we could get a lot of money back. (laughs) So pray for Paul and his application. (laughs) 
And then there is the group with whom we will have the longest relationship. Sabine State Bank. (laughs) (laughs) Provided the loan for this project. And Dub McCain has been working with us. And Dub is here. Dub, would you come down? We want to put a face with the bank. And uh, Dub and his team have been working with us since the very beginning. They've done a fantastic job helping us, answering questions. And we're grateful for Dub and his team's work. And and we're going to be related with them a long time, but hopefully not as long as they hope we are related to them. So we're, we're going to pay that off furiously. So let's give all of these folks a hand for their work. Yeah. On behalf of our church family, thank you so much for giving us this wonderful place helping this to be an answer to prayer. You've, you have uh, now gone down in the history of First Baptist Church Pineville in a major way, and we are grateful for you. Thank you. Y'all may have a seat. <clears throat> the sanctuary was last remodeled in 1989, and I had reached out to Dr. Larry Baker, who was pastor here at the time, and uh, we invited Dr. Larry and uh, Miss Wanda to be with us today, and they had actually scheduled to be here. That's why we actually picked this date. But after our uh, promotion started rolling out, uh, his school schedule at Logsdon Seminary prevented him from being able to come. But uh, they have graciously provided the flowers today uh, in recognition of this day. And in addition, Dr. Baker wrote a letter to us that I'd like to share with you now. Uh, today, you're celebrating new life and beauty pulsing through this holy place. Wanda and I are celebrating with you, although at some distance. When I stepped into this room in 1988, Wanda and I came at the invitation of the church's pastor search committee. I stepped inside and slowly scanned the various elements that made the room unique. I made my way down the aisle and onto the platform where I stopped and looked section by section across the room. I stood behind the pulpit and sat in one of the chairs later to become mine. I didn't use the word then, but powerful would describe it well. I remember, too, our first time of worship. Many of you were here, engaged joyfully in praise and prayer. Other treasured saints no longer with us helped fill the room with vitality. The energy was palpable, as someone described it. Powerful would describe it well. We have called the room by several names, sanctuary and worship center most of the time. Some have called it the auditorium, but it's more than a listening place. This room is a place for hearing, to be sure, but it's also a place for meeting. It's a place set aside especially for meeting with God. This place has a holy and powerful purpose. During the early 1990s, Wanda and I were privileged to participate in a major refurbishing of this room. A flood of rich memories come with many of your names and faces prominent. I had the privilege of participating in worship here for almost a decade with memories now that defy calculation and blessings beyond measure. The room fairly shouts, look. All the elements shout to us, this is not just another room. And point us to the wellspring of the room's power. You add to its power. You come from many places to this room, but you are one in God's family. Your faith journeys are as unique as your life stories, but all signal the grace and goodness of God. You bring much with you, but you receive much. Powerful Yes. God meets you here as Jesus promised where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I also. Our Lord, though unseen, is present. Worshippers hear our Lord's voice, though not as we hear the voices around us or the worship leaders in front of us. 
The Spirit of God moves among all who worship, speaking to each and all. God's people from other times are here. A great cloud of witnesses is here. We bring our stories with us, births and deaths, baptisms and personal commitments, struggles and victories, times when our faith soared and others when it faltered. God's people from other times are here. In scriptures we read, in music we sing, in acts of worship we share. We feel a powerful kinship. Little wonder this is a powerful place. The tenses of time merge. History's yesterday, today's now, and God's tomorrow. The God of the ages, the God of all ages, has brought you here in this time. A great cloud of witnesses meets us. In this place, you, God's 21st century followers, link your lives with each other at God's invitation and through his grace. Powerful indeed. Today is a day of celebration. One that points to powerful blessings beyond number. One that shouts of the goodness and grace in God whom we experience as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember now some of the words of a powerful gospel hymn. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough hope and quite enough power to chase away any gloom For Jesus, Lord Jesus, is in this very room. Celebrate. Give thanks to God with all you've got. Step with new commitment and energy into God's work in the world, beginning but not ending in this very room. Your pastor of another day who still loves you, one and all, Nathan Larry Baker. God has been so good to us, church. This has been a long journey, and we're now here, and we look forward to the future with great anticipation. And as we look to the future, we need to join together in prayer of dedication for this place. We did that on the first day back. We did that a couple of weeks ago, but we could never pray too much for what we want to see God do in this place. So if you would join me, those of you on the lower level, if you join me in kneeling, those of you in the balcony can just make your your lap there, your altar, as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, seeking his dedication of this place. Heavenly Father, as the song says, this is your house come and dwell. Lord, we give you this place. This room is not like any other room. As Dr. Baker said, it's different than any other auditorium, for it is a place that is a sanctuary, a place for your presence. It's a worship center, a place where we center on worship. And so God, As we join in this place for corporate worship, we pray, God, that we would sense your presence every time we're here. God, we would ask that there would never be a time or a season when the baptistry is empty. We pray that there would never be a season when the altar is empty. But, God, we ask that this would be a place where people, namely us and those to follow us, will do business with God. Lord, may masks come off as we enter the room. May the costumes be left outside and may we be ourselves. May we get to know ourselves in the most clear way. For when we come into your presence, we see ourselves for who we really are. 
Lord, may we deal with sin in this room. May we rejoice in this room. May we offer our loved ones back to you in this room. May we commit our marriages to you, our children to you, our lives to you. Lord, every time we come into this room, help us to make a decision for you. As we hear your word, may we apply it to our lives. May we respond to how the Holy Spirit wants us to use it in our life. And may we leave this place ready to serve you in the way that you've called. God, generations have gone before us in this room. And generations may come after us. But Lord, at this time, we pray that we would be a generation that seeks your face. A faithful generation. A generation of First Baptist Pineville that when people 50 years from now look back, they will say, we want to have that kind of faith. Lord, we've heard of your renown. We have heard of your works. Lord, renew them in our day. Lord, may we be those people. Lord, as we've prayed before, Lord, we pray that you would build a hedge of protection around this church, around this campus, that the enemy would have no room here, but that your spirit would so fill this campus with your presence that the enemy would not even be able to get a pinky hold, much less a foothold. And may your presence be so palpable and so powerful that everyone will know that they've been in the presence of God when they come to this place, whether for worship or for a conference, or for a funeral, or for a wedding, or for a concert, or anything else that happens in this place. Lord, we give this to you. We give this room to you. May you receive all glory and honor because you were the one that helped it to happen. You're the one that will help this church to continue to penetrate darkness in central Louisiana, Louisiana, the United States, and even around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.
hope and victory for Jesus conquered death. He'll return in power, but till that glorious day, lift his banner higher, stand strong and keep the faith. is still the king and we look to him for future things and we make the declaration in our heart today Lord be thou my vision speak to us today amen would you stand together let's sing be thou
Father, we praise you for this day and for this opportunity to rededicate this sanctuary, this building, this house of praise to you. But Father, without your presence, it is just a building. And so we pray that you will always be present here. And Father, we recognize that the church is more than a building. It's the people who are here. And we, the people, Father, need to rededicate ourselves to you as well. To step forward into this community and to the world in which we live, proclaiming you as the Savior of the world through Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask that all that we do in this place and outside this place would be to glorify you. And as we give today, take the gifts and the offerings and use them for the furtherance of your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, choir. We certainly want to praise his name today. Amen. Amen. And Chris and Patty, it's great to have you guys back with us today. Let's give Chris a hand for being here with us. Maybe we should give his church a hand for letting him be away with us today, but we're glad to have Chris and Patty back with us. And Brother Robert Daniel, our Director of Missions, Interim Director of Missions right now, and his wife Linda are with us, and thank you all for being with us today as well. Uh, Please turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. And yes, I'm aware of the time, and just forget it. Uh, As we celebrate this great day in our church's life, uh, we're going to return to our series in the Gospel of John called Jesus, Who Are You? And as we journey through this story, we're going to uncover uh, how we can believe God for what's next in our own lives and in the life of our church. And so we want to begin encountering this text together, John chapter 4, verses 43 through 57. After the two days he left for Galilee, that was the two days he had spent in Samaria where he met with the Samaritan woman. And now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. This man was facing what many would say is the greatest grief possible. His son was facing certain death and there was little hope. There were no pediatricians, no children's research hospitals. Some illness had come upon this child and his life was draining from him. And there's no scarier place for a parent to be. The loss of a child is the greatest pain a parent can face. Dr. Roger Sullivan was one of my professors at Louisiana College when his wife and daughter Joy were involved in a single car accident 20 years ago this past Wednesday. Uh, Miss Sullivan was paralyzed in that accident and Joy died as a result. Uh, Dr. Sullivan provided an equation that helped me understand the pain of a parent's loss of child and that is love plus loss equals pain. That seems simple enough but if you notice when you Either increase love or you increase loss. Mathematically, pain increases as well. And we love our children more than we could ever express. And there is no loss greater than death. So when incalculable love meets the greatest loss, they bring about the greatest of pains. Dr. Sullivan said, I didn't know a human could hurt that bad and live. Unless you've been there, there's no way to describe the emotion of losing a child. Some of you have been there at different stages along the way of their life. And I know the pain of loss is always there. Second to the loss of a child is the place where this man is. The realistic fear that your child may die. It's not a fun place to be. You feel helpless, but you will do anything for your child to be made well. There is There is so much fear and grief starts to creep in and you begin to mourn, but you don't want to because you want to believe the best. And that's where this man was. As he looked at his child laying laying on his bed at his home in Capernaum, he was helpless and he was hopeless. 
Now, depending on your translation, this man is described as a royal official or a nobleman. He was probably an officer in Her- uh, an officer of Herod Antipas who was stationed in Capernaum. And such a position afforded this man a great deal of wealth, a great deal of influence, more wealth and influence than most people of his time would have. And this man could normally get things done. But on this day, in this situation, one that mattered to him more than anything else, he was hopeless and he was helpless. That is, until he hears that Jesus is just 20 miles away in Cana in Galilee. No doubt word had been spreading about this miracle worker from Nazareth. Jesus had turned water into wine at a wedding. And uh, just he had spent the last several weeks teaching in that region. And, and many people had been in Jerusalem to see him cleanse the temple. And you know they went home talking about that. And so the word about Jesus was spreading. And there were a lot of followers with him. But most of them were just a miracle entourage waiting for the next show. If it had been our day, they would have been following Jesus or going ahead of him, selling T-shirts and trinkets, trying to get people to come to the next spectacle. But we don't know how this man found out about Jesus. But perhaps someone said, you know, there's a carpenter from Nazareth that can perform miracles. He's in Cana now. Man, it's worth a try. You might as well go see if he's got something to offer. You know, when your child is dying, you'll do anything, even seemingly ridiculous things. And so I imagine this royal official leaves his child's bedside. He hops on his horse. He gallops off at a furious pace to Jesus. And notice that it's him that goes. This daddy wasn't going to send a servant. This daddy wasn't going to send his wife. He goes himself to make sure his son is taken care of. And when he finds Jesus in Cana, he begs him to come and heal his son. Can you imagine that scene? Perhaps Jesus was in the middle of teaching a a group of people and he hears the sound of a horse galloping and coming in. And then he sees the dust cloud follow in as that man steps and he stops that horse and he jumps down. And he runs to Jesus and he hits his knees and he says, oh, please, please come with me to Capernaum. My son is dying. I need you to come with me. Come right now. And he kept on begging. The word there has the idea of continuous action. Here we see our first principle for believing God for what's next. To believe God for what's next, you must humble yourself. Here this powerful, wealthy, influential official humbles himself before a poor carpenter. I find it interesting that this man doesn't go up for help. He goes, for him, what appeared to be down for help. He could have reached up to Herod. But this royal official knew that more money and more influence wasn't going to do a thing. This nobleman had all of that. So he goes to Jesus. And we find that a man who had everything but could do nothing comes to the one who had nothing but could give him everything. And so really, in going down for help, this daddy was reaching up for help. When we go down for help in humility, we are going up as well. Challenges, opportunities, problems often draw us to God. They can cause us to run to him, cling to him, plead with him. 
The challenges and the problems and the opportunities can be what drive us to our knees and bring us back to church. It's good that there are no atheists in foxholes. In those times, we're right where God needs us to be so he can maximize his work on our behalf. So what does Jesus do? How does he respond to this man's pleading? Well, get ready. You're about to be offended. Verse 48. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. What an insensitive jerk. If Jesus had said that to some of us, we would have walked away angry as all get out, cursing him all the way. How dare he? Is Jesus being insensitive though? Is he being hard? Is he being crass? Does he not care? No. He's growing this man's faith. You see, for all his humility, the man wasn't quite where he needed to be. The man's problem was much like our problem. He told Jesus how to handle the situation. And he presented the problem before he presented himself. This dad knew what needed to happen. Jesus needed to get on that horse with him, ride back to Capernaum, get off, go to the child's side, touch him, say some magic holy words, and poof, his son would be okay. That's what needed to happen. But that took the daddy out of the equation. That took the rest of the family out of the equation. That even really took the little boy out of the question. What good would it really do for Jesus to show up and heal the boy if all the boy would do is grow up, die as an old man, and go to hell. You see, Jesus wanted to do more in this situation, and he wants to do more in our situations. That's why humility is so vital. We come to Jesus with our problem, with our challenge, with our opportunities, and we, we know to do that. But so often when we do, we give no thought to placing ourselves before God first. Instead, we barge into his throne room and, and we demand action in a certain way. In the name of Jesus, I command this to happen. And then when he says, no, or wait, we get ticked. But the problem's not with God. The problem's with us. We've not submitted ourselves to him and his grander picture. If he were to say yes to our demands in that moment, we might miss out on something greater that he wants to do. Jesus could have done exactly what this man begged for, but the boy would have just grown up, died an old man, and gone to hell, and Jesus wanted to do more than that. And he wants to do more than that in our situation as well. Perhaps, perhaps he wants you to grow through that challenge or that problem or that opportunity. Perhaps he needs to say no or wait in order to do so. And perhaps this will be the thing that helps you finally conquer the clutches of the evil one in your life. Or it'll be the very thing that finally helps you deal with that latent anger. Or finally will help you have faith that will grow. Or finally 
It will help you to handle your anxiety or it will finally help you to learn to manage your finances better. Or it will finally help you to truly rely on God day by day. God wants to do more. You see, God is not a God of quick fixes. He's a God of eternal transformation. We all want the miracle. We all want the quick fix. But Jesus is teaching this man, those people, and us something important. A faith that depends on miracles can't endure the tough times. But a faith that believes in miracles but depends on Jesus can endure anything. So Jesus is not being ugly. He's he's teaching this man and those around him and us this valuable lesson. It's not about signs and wonders. It's about a higher purpose. Interestingly, this man doesn't leave man mad. He hears Jesus' heart and then he asks again in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. I sense in this a different, a different kind of tone. There's humility, there's faith, there's hope. And Jesus responds, but not as the man would expect, but exactly as we would expect after what he just said. Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. What would you do with that? Would you keep on begging? But Jesus, um, you must come. You need to touch him. You need to say the magic holy words. I need to see that happen in order for me to believe that it's going to happen. I might would have done that. But this man doesn't the next statement is powerful the man took Jesus at his word and departed and here we see the second principle of believing God for what's next that is you must faithfully surrender to his plan this royal official this once scared dad gets up from his knees walks over to his horse mounts his horse gives a little nudge and walks off there's no gallop there's no hurry There's no dust flying. How could he be like that? Because he faithfully surrendered to Jesus' plan. He took Jesus at his word. And what was that word? Well, it's more powerful when you contrast it against the dads. The dad said, you must come. Jesus said, you may go. The dad said, my son dies. And Jesus said, your son will live. Isn't that cool? Go? No. Come, no, go. Die, no, living. He took Jesus at his word. One of the biggest challenges of the Christian life is getting a word from God and trusting that word. We've got to take that word and go, not demand a sign to tell us the word is good. Signs and wonders are vital. They're good. Jesus did them. But when we demand signs, that dishonors God. In his book, Believe in Miracles but Trust in Jesus, uh, Adrian Rogers shares a helpful illustration. He says, suppose that you say to your son, I'm going to put $100 in your bank account. And the kid says, well, that's great, but but how can I be sure you're going to do that? I'm telling you I'm going to do it. Well, that's great, mom or dad, but can you give me the deposit slip? So I'll know that you did that. Now, wouldn't that just be like a slap in your face of of your child not trusting you to take care of them? And that's what we do to God when we don't take him at his word and we demand something else. 
God always keeps his word. We just have to learn to take him at his word. But a good question is, how in the world do you do that? I mean, I could believe it too if it was Jesus who said it in person. But hang on. This man struggled with his faith just as much, maybe more so than we do. You see, Jesus was a new deal. This man didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have 2,000 years of church history. He didn't have millions, if not billions, of testimonies of the wonder-working power of Jesus. There were not no songs about their power in the blood of Jesus. For all this guy knew, Jesus was just another carpenter from Nazareth. And yet, he took Jesus at his word. So how do you do that? How do you take Jesus at his word? Well, first, you've got to know God's word. You've got to know the Bible so that you can distinguish the voice of God from every other voice in the world. You know that the more you read an author, the more you get to know that author, the more you get to think like that author. Well, the more you read this author, the more you get to think like this author, and the more you know his voice. And so that's why you've got to be in the Word daily in a quiet time. That's why you need to be in a small group here at church. That's why you need to be in worship weekly. So the Word is going in. Because when you are in need of a Word of God, guess what He's going to do? He's going to download something you've already uploaded. And you're going to be in that situation wondering what to do. And God's going to give you a scripture passage that you've already put in your life that he's going to bring to the surface right when you need it. And then when you get that word, second, exercise your faith in God's word. That's what this man did. He took him at his word and then he left. Faith grows by exercise. When you get that word, do the next thing. For this man, it was to go. You may go, Jesus said, so he went. And when we get the word, we walk with that word. Now, there may be times when you wonder when that word isn't fulfilled just as you thought it should be fulfilled, but you just take the next step and the next step and the next step, just like this man. Someone has said, trust him as you can, and he will give you so much more than you expected that you will trust him more. We're really talking about surrendering to the word of God here. And this is very important. What does it mean to surrender? It means simply hands off and hands up. That's surrender. Hands off, hands up. Hands off the situation. No more worrying it to death. No more making something happen. No more demanding Jesus to do A, B, and C. Have faith. Hands off. Adrian Rogers says, Faith is not so much receiving from God the things you want, but accepting from God the things he gives. You can't claim it until he names it, he says. Hands off. And then hands up. Jesus, it's all up to you. Hands up and surrender. It's yours. Hands up in praise, God. I know you have this. That is surrender. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. Faithful surrender. Now, pay close attention as this story continues because we get to see just how full of surrendered faith this man now is. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And then the father realized 
that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. You know what's interesting about this? The man didn't gallop off on his horse and speed to get home. If he had, he could have been home by dark the same day as the boy was healed. But apparently, he believed he's okay. So he took some time. We don't know. Maybe he did some business. Maybe he visited some friends. But whatever he did, he didn't leave until the next day. And his servants... Realizing that the son was better and when he didn't come home that evening, they decide we got to go get him. And so they're running and they're, they're just at breakneck speed. And the tense of the, the verb there is like they just came to him and they kept telling him in shorter breath, your, your son, master, your son, your, he's alive. He's good. And the man says what? When did he begin to get better? Yesterday, sir, about 1 o'clock, it was instantaneous. It was at the exact same time Jesus had told him his son would live. The exact time the man had gotten the word. Now, he thought he would gradually get better. He asked, when did he begin to get better? But it wasn't a gradual, it was an instant. If this dad's faith had not grown to full blossom by now, it does right here. Warren Wiersbe says his crisis faith led to a confident faith. His confident faith led to a confirmed faith. A confirmed faith led to a contagious faith. For look at the result at the end of verse 53. So he and all his household believed. Folks, that's why Jesus healed the boy. Not just to heal the boy, but to spiritually heal the entire household. And that meant mom, dad, the kid, the servants in that day, every day. One action by Jesus brought about total transformation in a family. Jesus can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. And here's something to remember. Sometimes you're believing in the word of Jesus for your life is what's needed for the purpose of Jesus to be unleashed in the life of your family. Sometimes it starts with you. How many of you think that after this man experienced this move of God in his life, he continued to walk with Jesus? I do. In fact, there's some idea that maybe this guy's mentioned elsewhere. Some people think in Luke 8 verse 3 that Chusa, a steward in the household of Herod, is this man who was converted, and he and his wife are helping to support the Lord's work. But in whatever case, we find believers in the very service of King Herod. What a marvelous growth of faith. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Samaria. Jesus, who are you? I'm the Lord of the physical and the spiritual realm. I'm not limited by time, by space, or by place. Jesus, what do you offer? Spiritual healing for your entire household? Jesus, how do I get it? By believing me for what's next. What do you need to believe God for in your life? Maybe something that's really been burdening you for a long time. What is it you need to believe God for? Lay it out there. Hands off. Hands up. And surrender and give it to him.
Lord, we come before you this morning and we pray, God, that you would help us to believe you for what's next in our lives and in the life of our church. We ask, God, that we would grow in faith day by day, Lord, in the difficult times of life and in the seemingly easy times of life. Lord, may you write your word upon our hearts today and do a great work within us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.